Welcome to the Seasoned Athlete Podcast, your home for stories, inspiration, and advice from athletes over 40. I'm your host, Robin Leggett. I'm a later-in-life athlete who became a roller derby skater in my 30s and a runner and obstacle racer in my 40s. Now, I'm an athletic aging coach who helps women over 40 experience the massive life benefits that come with exploring your athletic potential at any age and any fitness background. If that fires you up, keep listening. Let's do this. Hello, hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm talking to nutritional therapy, intuitive eating, and strength training expert, Steph Godreau. Steph and I have been running in similar business coaching circles, and in the last year that we've had the opportunity to get to know each other, we're realizing how philosophically aligned we are. Steph helps women who lift weights fuel themselves better so they can get stronger, increase their energy, and perform better in the gym. She fights the stereotypes that women are bombarded with that dictate that the only reason to exercise is for weight loss, and she rallies against the idea that if you want to perform better at a sport, you must strive to be leaner. In her best-selling book, The Core Four, Steph details a four-pillar approach to getting stronger, embracing your body, and owning your power. Steph has a weekly podcast called the Listen to Your Body Podcast, where I was recently a guest, and now today is my day to host Steph on my podcast. If you follow me on social, which you should, at Robin Leggett, you may have caught a glimpse of Steph in some of my recent reels. You definitely should check them out, as they are both educational and also hilarious. And you can see me on some of her reels, and she shares her Instagram handle later in the episode. In our discussion, we talk about how strength training changed Steph's entire relationship with fitness, the many reasons why active women typically don't eat enough, and we go through some of those outdated fitness philosophies that just need to go. So let's get to it. Here is my conversation with Steph Godreau. Hey, Steph, are you ready to drop some seasoned athlete knowledge on our listeners today? Yes, let's do this. Let's do, you're very serious about it. Let's, <laughs> we're about to get super intense here. Uh, you are Steph Gaudreau. Um, and like I said in your intro, you help women who lift weights fuel themselves better so they get stronger, increase their energy, and perform better in the gym. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. You are also uh, my Instagram Reels buddy. Um, yep. You, if, if you have not checked out either of our Instagram pages, you really need to go to both of them because uh, not too long ago, Steph, who lives in the same city as me, we like to point like you live back there behind me somewhere. <laughs> We're doing good radio here. Good podcasting <laughs> by doing this visual pointing to where we live, but we, we live in the same city. We recently, we've been mutual admiration society, uh, but we finally got together to create some really fun content to help entertain y'all, help educate y'all, help edutain y'all. Uh, but you really got to check it out because we cracked each other up. We cracked <laughs> ourselves up and hopefully we cracked you up as well. And if we haven't yet go to both of the Instagram pages and, uh, well, we'll have Steph, you'll say your Instagram page at the end. So, uh, yeah, so we're both like kind of on a, a similar path as coaches, as athletes and well, as athletes in different ways. Uh, but we're very like-minded in how we serve people and how we help people. And that's what we're going to get into in a little bit. Before we do that, I'm going to ask you the question I ask all my guests. And that is, what is your age at this moment in time? I am 42 and a half. 
Very precise. I love it. (laughs) 42 and eight out of 12 months. Um, Yes. But you know what? I like that instead of like hiding it, instead of minimizing, you're taking every single moment of how old you are and embracing it. Absolutely. I think, you know, when I was growing up and I would think about my older cousins or even my parents, I was like, dang, they're old. And now I'm their age. And I'm just thinking, you know what? It's all good. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I was the same way, like as a kid, my, I always thought my parents were super old and they are, they were in their early forties at the time. But I also remember like my dad running races and my parents having parties. And so they were, they were not as old as we thought they were. They were actually a lot cooler than we thought they were, but that's, that's how you are when you're a kid. Like everybody's ancient, all parents are ancient. And now it's like, but really like, cause I, I feel, I feel like I was, I'm in my twenties or thirties, like mentally at least. (laughs) So yeah. There is that. Um, So let's go back in time a little bit and talk about your own athletic journey. So did you grow up playing sports? Um, How did, how did things begin? Yeah, Yeah? I did. I always loved to be outside. So I'll just say that. And I think, you know, we're, we're basically children's of the eighties. So back then it was like, go outside and don't come home till it's dark. Yeah. And we so did like all... really shady stuff, like go play in the Creek and like oh, go run yeah. around in abandoned houses and stuff. I don't know I mean, if you're yeah. the same, but like we did stuff like that. We always did. We were always adventuring. So I have a sister who's about a year and a half younger than me. And we would get together with the neighborhood kids where I was playing kickball in the street and, you know, I remember one escapade on roller skates, which is why I'm telling you this story where I roller skated down a, an embankment full of pine needles and, and tree roots and fell and impaled my arm on a stick. And I still have the scar to this day. It's here on my arm. Wow. Forever. And my parents were just like, what are you doing? Why? So yeah, I was always a really active kid. And that started in dance, I would say, probably I was in second grade, so seven years old, maybe. And so I started doing dance and then I also started playing soccer and did both until probably about sixth grade. And my mom at that point, so my sister and I were both in dance and soccer. And by that point I had another sister and a brother. So there were four kids and my mom, I remember very clearly, we had this conversation. She pulled my sister and I uh, aside and said, you know, you're going to have to make a choice. Which one do you want to keep doing? Because you can't do both anymore. Like she, like she couldn't manage like the different things for all the kids. It was too much. You know, it was like lots of just games and practices and rehearsals and stuff like that. So she said, which one do you want to do? And I said, soccer. And my sister said, dance. And I'm sure she was cursing us like, forever. She was really hoping you all would say the same thing. Isn't She's what like, I, I still have mind. to drive your butts all over town. Exactly. So I did. I took the path of playing soccer. I ended up playing for some travel teams. I played in high school. Uh, my freshman year, I went to a really competitive soccer. Like our school was just so good at soccer. We won state championships division one, my freshman year, I was on the freshman team. We had a freshman team, a JV team and a varsity team. And the varsity team won States. 
So everyone came out that second, that next year to try out for the team, right? Because it was like the hottest team in town. And our <laughs> school did not have a football team, right? So this is this was it. This, is, this was it. This was like Western Mass soccer, big thing. And I went out for the team uh, my sophomore year, and I was the la- one of the last two people cut. Mm. And I was just devastated because I just loved soccer so much and played indoor, played outdoor in the summer. I mean, just you, you name it. So I kind of was like, what am I going to do with myself? And I put all my I, eggs in this basket. Yeah, absolutely. And I was kind of bored. And so my mom said, well, you can, you know, maybe there's something around town that you can do. And so I actually joined up and started doing Taekwondo and Hapkido, which is, you know, martial arts and did that for a couple of years, ran some uh, track, decided to try out for the track team. And, you know, it's, this is the classic story of me. I've never been super uh, like great at anything sports wise. I've always been like, okay. At stuff. <laughs> that's, how, that's my journey. The world's okay. is <laughs> fill in the blank. Like, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I wasn't fast enough to, to, to sprint and, and be a sprinter per se, but I also didn't have the lungs and the, the endurance or distance running. So I ended up running hurdles and did, did pretty well at that. Um, anyway, so then I ended my high school career of, of all sports and went to college and didn't do anything. And my freshman year, I was like, well, I kind of miss being active. And so I joined a gym down the street from my house and I would go and like probably mess around on the machines and stuff like that. So I really like started kind of getting into the gym a little bit when I was 18, 19, but I didn't know anything. Um, right. and then a couple of years after that started getting into mountain biking and then started racing mountain bikes. And then I ended up racing mountain bikes in various forms for almost eight years. Oh wow! So yeah, that became kind of my primary thing dabbled in. So, I mean, like I've done everything dabbled in <laughs> some half marathons and then eventually started lifting weights in about 2010. I was pretty burnt out from triathlon. So I was running, uh, or I was doing Xterra, which is mm-hmm. outdoor, um, or off-road triathlon and was doing endurance distance mountain biking at this time. So these are like marathon level marathon distance, you know, six, 12, 24 hours on the bike, suffer yeah. fest mm-hmm. pain, super you know. ultra endurance type yeah, of situations. Just, just yeah. Pain cave all the way. And I was pretty burnt out. Um, and I decided to kind of go to the local CrossFit gym and just check it out. And I was like, this kind of looks like fun. And that really kicked off. I mean, I had lifted, dabbled, you know, in weights here and there, but I had never lifted uh, free weights. I'd really never, I never had lifted a barbell in the sense of like, never learned how to deadlift, never learned how to back squat with just a bar outside of a Smith machine, like the whole Mm -hmm. nine yards. And that just changed my life. So in the last decade, I've done everything from Olympic weightlifting to just kind of general strength and conditioning and powerlifting kind of stuff. And uh, the last four years, I've also done Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So kind of returned to some martial arts. And so I kind of do both. I roll Brazilian jiu-jitsu about five times a week, and I lift about three times a week. And that's my, my little happy zone. So I've kind of done, <laughs> kind of done it all. That you have. Story. No, <laughs> but, but it's important. You know, it's like, yes. it, it all kind of led you to where you're at now, or you've, it's like, 
you found this balance, you found this place that you like and and your whole life story helps you get to that place. Right. It's like, you learned what you like, you learn what you don't necessarily want to do anymore, or you might, you might be tired of. And now you're in that place where it's, you're balancing the lifting and, and the Brazilian uh, jujitsu, which is really cool. And you've, how did you get into coaching and specifically around Mm. intuitive eating? That's again, a long story. Um, we got time. We got time. (laughs) Um, you know, I don't think my story is all that unique in the sense that much like many women, I was always really unhappy with my weight. I thought I had to be thinner. You know, we saw growing up in, you know, then becoming a teen in the nineties and it was all like Kate Moss and like be super thin. And yeah. And it was the nineties was the low fat craze. Like everything was like lower, no fat for Mm -hmm. some reason. Like I remember at home, that's all we had was lower, no fat stuff. That's the nineties in my memory as a woman. (laughs) Absolutely. So I was, you know, a lot, like a lot of women just really unhappy with my weight, always trying to figure out how to lose weight. And that kind of carried over into my mountain biking days. And I was competing a lot. I was racing a lot. And then by the time I hit triathlons, I was really doing a lot of mileage, you know, r- doing bricks and training and running and swimming and running and biking and really wasn't eating very much. Um, always was trying to just keep my weight down, um, to be as fast as I could possibly be at the time. I thought that's how it worked. Right. And that was probably yeah. what, what like coaches were saying at the time too. It's like, you got to be lighter to be faster. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm just not built that way. I am, I am just a, just a sturdy person. And, (laughs) (laughs) and that's, uh, that's always something that was a a pain point for me is I never felt thin enough to be at, and I always thought if I could be thinner, gosh, I would be even better at mountain biking. You know, I'd probably be able to win. And I envied, you know, one of my better friends that, you know, I would race with a lot and practice with a lot. And she was, I just thought if I could just be like her, wow. I mean, I would just be a much better competitor. And it was always a a really big thorn in my side. I thought about my body image a lot and my weight, and I was never happy with it ever. And I would weigh myself every day and get on that scale. And if it was down a little bit, I would celebrate, you know, for feel good for five minutes. And if it was, the weight was down and if the weight was up, I would be automatically go into fixing mode, you know, and that would normally mean eating less or working out harder that day to try to compensate. So that was me for a really long time. And when I finally left my job as a high school teacher and started working for myself, I really started to get curious about nutrition. And I was at the time running a recipe website and I, I started trying to understand, especially when I started lifting weights and I left the endurance world behind I really tried to start understanding how to fuel my body differently. And it took a long time to be quite honest. Like if you've grown up in that sort of a dieting mentality, I don't know many people that can just flip the switch and it just goes away overnight. And you're like, well, cool. Now I see food differently now. And I I don't ever have bad thoughts about my body. And it's taken a long time to get to the point where now I'm focused more on, on, feeding myself, you know, appropriately for the things that I do and having enough energy to keep my body strong instead of 
only focusing on, you know, leanness or thinness as the primary goal. And, and so now that's kind of what I help people do. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner. Um, I focus on sort of sports and strength nutrition. And then I also help people a lot with the underlying thoughts, feelings, and behaviors that then, you know, kind of form the foundation of their nutrition habits. And why is there so much struggle with even the concept of eating enough food to fuel our training? Where does that come from? It comes from a dieting background and a dieting mentality. And how do we use evidence-based practices to break through some of that stuff, even understand on a more logical level that you have to eat enough. And if you think that this is something that only people at elite levels of sport deal with, or, you know, you think I'm not a competitor, it doesn't really matter to me. You know, I don't compete. I'm just a casual exerciser or recreational exerciser. There was a 2016 study that came out of New Zealand and they surveyed recreational uh, women athletes or recreational women exercisers, I should say. And almost half of them were at risk for low energy availability, which means essentially not eating enough food for the amount of activity that you're doing. And that potentially has some serious results, uh, some serious consequences to it. So it can happen at any level. And I just hope one day there's, uh, you know, I shared a story on my uh, Instagram yesterday. It was something to the effect of our women rowers ate more and triumphed at the Olympics. This is again, coming out of New Zealand. And I yeah, that was thought, the headline of the article was like, <laughs> they yeah, ate it more was and like, triumphed. like revolutionary. This yeah. idea is revolutionary that we need to eat enough food. And I mean, rowers especially have such a high output, you know, their rowers are, are burning through so much energy and training and stuff like that. But we can sort of, I, I just hope one day that this idea of like eating enough to, to get us through our, our, our activity and the things we love to do and having enough energy isn't going to be a revolutionary thing. It's like when my friend Molly Galbraith posted a picture of herself and it was, she was like, this is not a before and after this is just me like being okay with my body. And the headline was sort of like, woman is okay with her body. Wow. You know, it was at 11 story at 11. Like, yeah. It's like, no wonder this persists. Because yeah. it's it, we're continued to tr- continually treated this way from all angles, yes. you know. It's the messaging yes. that is constantly there. And I saw Absolutely. I saw you post that article, and I saw someone comment. It's like you would never see this article that's like men eat enough to <laughs> to do the things they want to do. It's like that uh-huh. is a given, but it's it's continuing yeah. a problem for us at the elite level, like at. at Olympic athletes, which this should be a given, mm-hmm. and it probably is a given for many Olympic athletes, but it's still a big story that we need to see. Yes, absolutely. There was another story of a heptathlete uh, out of the U.S. who also went to Tokyo, and say it was like a carbon copy article almost. It was sort of like she wasn't feeling very good in training and wondering why it was a struggle, and she wasn't feeling motivated. And when they looked at her food intake compared to her physical output, they were like, oh, we think you need to eat more food. But then the interesting part was in these discussions wasn't necessarily the the factual stuff. It was the psychological changes that had to happen, like the psychological, the beliefs, the, the, the habits and behaviors and like the things that drive our habits and behaviors. And that was kind of the, the key of how these these women athletes then 
got on board yeah. with it. Cause in the past they've only been warned. Don't, it used to be a female athlete triad, right. Is, mm-hmm. is the, the syndrome to avoid right through low energy uh, intake and high energy output. Now it's called red S. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk, can of, you talk a little bit about the specifics of what red S is? Yeah. So um, it's called relative energy deficiency in sport. And what essentially what's come out of the research is that this is not, you know, we used to see this was, or think this was just a problem in women Um, in particular, three things that would be like a low energy intake slash disordered eating, uh, bone density issues, and then amenorrhea, right? So loss of the menstrual cycle. That's usually the one you hear about the most, like, Totally. Like the biggest sign is like the period goes away. Yeah. And so what, what, but what's been coming out is that this is not just something that women are susceptible to so that men or, you know, and again, like we're, we're using kind of women and men in the, the sense of like the cis sense of the word and how it would be used in the research, which we know is a huge gap. But um, what's come out is that anyone (laughs) can be susceptible to this. And in particular, what, what we're looking at are things like, you know, changes, unfavorable changes in metabolism. So in a, collo- like a colloquial sense, it would be like their metabolism is, your metabolism is slowing down. And I'm using right. air quotes here because it's a little bit more complex uh, issues with immunity, muscle loss, strength and power loss. Um, I mean, again, bone density issues, y- you name it, like so many consequences yeah. of mood and energy changes, uh, increased uh, mental health issues. So if you're somebody who's more vulnerable or susceptible to uh, mental health challenges, seeing that those actually can be exacerbated uh, by that, you know, issues with um, reproductive hormones and so on and so forth. So this stuff has wide ranging implications on your physiology and on your body. And um, I think we see this play out with people in a more recreational sense when they're like, I'm just not performing or you know, all of a sudden I'm, I just noticed I don't have the motivation to exercise that yeah. I used to have. Or I'm tired you know, so. or I'm not sleeping well. Yeah, tired, not yeah. sleeping well, mood disturbances, mm-hmm. um, things like that. And so it's really taking a look at, well, are we, are we really honestly, you know, eating enough to, to fuel yeah. our activity? Yeah. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, 
We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. And when you think about, you know, we talk about how it's ingrained, you know, the, the, the need to eat less or the desire to eat less or think you're, you actually think you're eating too much. It's generational too. Like this stuff has been passed down from generation to generation. And then there's that prevailing like 1200 calorie diet, right? <laughs> I just, rolling, was my, like, rolling my eyes, rolling my eyes but yeah, but that's like, it's, yeah. that's so common. And it's like, I need to try and eat 1200 calories when really like that's the bare minimum for your organs to function. Yeah. Like we yeah. forget and- that, that we're not just fueling activity. We're not just fueling a lifestyle. Like we are fueling the organs in our bodies to do the things that keep us alive. And Mm -hmm. that's the 1200 number. And somewhere that got convoluted into like, that's the limit for my calories, like full stop. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, most people have a, have a resting metabolic rate that's slightly above that anyway. I mean, if you're a super tiny person, you know, potentially, uh, your resting metabolic rate might be around that number, but you're, you're exactly right. That just, that assumes that you're essentially lying horizontal all the time. You're not processing your and digesting your food Mm -hmm. and you're not moving. Yeah. That is just your heart beating. That is at at a resting rate, your heart beating at a resting rate, your internal organs, just not stopping. Mm-hmm. Um, that yeah. is, that is what we're accounting for here. People forget like the body needs calories simply to do that. Mm-hmm. Like that is a function of calories and people forget that. And then anything above and beyond that you want to do, you mm-hmm. need more. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Banging on that drum. All day. <laughs> Banging as hard <laughs> as possible. So yeah. we need to get out of that 1200 calorie mindset. We get, we need to get out of that eat less, move more mindset. Yeah. And that moves us into talking about strength training, because that's another area where uh, women are traditionally not taught to pursue. Um, mm-hmm. So can you talk about, you know, you talked about how lifting weights changed your life. Can you tell me a little bit about how it changed your life mm-hmm. um, and what you've learned about strength training that can change other women's lives? Yeah. You know, I could sit here all day and tell you about the physical benefits of lifting weights. Like once we hit 30, we're going to start to lose between three to 5% of our muscle mass every decade. I could tell you that, you know, we actually, and again, I'm using air quotes here. Like this is very simple, but we increase our, our metabolism. Essentially what we do is we increase our most metabolically active and expensive tissue when we build muscle, mm-hmm. um, things like that. I could sit here and like rattle off all the science and like why you need to, but I think the biggest way to connect it is, is sort of sharing like how it changes people. So at the core for me, I went from somebody who was hyper-focused on being a specific weight, being a specific leanness, shrinking my body to a specific size. I was so focused on that, even though I wanted to be better at racing, I really believed that the way to get better at racing was to achieve that kind of a body. Mm-hmm. And when I started lifting weights, I truly started focusing on what my body could do regardless of my weight and my size. I started to think about, well, um, what are these things that I can, you know, like 
how much can I lift or what kind of skill can I learn? Cause I've gotten stronger. And the, the biggest example I can think of is a pull-up, right? Everybody wants to learn how to do a pull-up. And for so many women, I mean, I, I promise you that I believed I would never be strong enough to do a pull-up yeah. in my life. And even though I was in so many sports, I mean, you heard me rattle off the list, even though I was fast on, I like could ride for hours and all this stuff. I thought I'll never be able to do this. I'll never be strong enough. And I will tell you something when you get that first pull up or when you deadlift a weight that you were like, wow, that really intimidated me at first, but I walked up to that bar and I lifted that off the ground. There is something that changes in your brain where you start to look at things and go, well, I want, if I could do that, I wonder what else I could do. Mm -hmm. It expands your life in ways you will not be able to anticipate. And, and so I always think about it as lifting weights as a catalyst to a more expansive life. Yeah. Yeah. You start to think about what else can I do? You start to appreciate your body for not just how it looks, but the things that it, it brings to you. And I also like to caveat, caveat that a little bit. Cause then we think, well, I, you know, I'm only as good as what I can do. And I think that that's a little bit of a trap sometimes because over our lifetimes, our bodies will change and yes, you know, things can happen. We might get a chronic illness. We could get an injury. It takes, takes us out of doing what we can always, we could have done before, but I like to think about like, how does it enrich your life? What does it like? How does it allow you to change your perspective? How does your confidence and self-belief change? And so for me, an example is I decided to leave my job that I was doing for 12 years and pursue. I, I had this like brain space that I didn't have before. So instead of worrying about always making my body smaller and, and really hating how I looked, I had all this like mental space and I started to think bigger, you know, if the classroom isn't for me and and I have so much respect for teachers. And, and so it's not about that, but it's, for me, I just felt like it wasn't the place that I wanted to be to like fully express what I was here to put on this planet to do. And, and so I really started to think, but well, how can I make this happen? I started to think bigger about my life and, and bigger about the things that I wanted. And so lifting weights was really a, a way to explore that. And it sounds kind of kooky, honestly. I mean, it doesn't you're, to me because that's basically my yeah, story. totally. But <laughs> but at the same time, if you're somebody who doesn't really lift weights, yeah. you're just like, what? But I thought like, it's like I thought it just made my muscles bigger. Totally. But there's something about building capacity, physical capacity. There's something about being able to be to take care of yourself and move your body in space. Honestly, that's so um, just expansive and empowering. And I don't mean it in the like rah, rah, girl power kind of way, but I mean, like truly like, you're like, I am a strong person physically inside, outside, mentally, emotionally, I can get through hard things. I am resilient. And when you learn how to lift weights in that way, and you slowly build your skills over time and you bust through these like ceilings you thought you had, and you prove yourself wrong, of like, well, I never thought I could do that. And I just did like, 
well, there's like a new ceiling here. This is so exciting. Yeah. Um, those are just some of the things that I feel like some of the ways that my life changed. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's like, I'm listening to this story and I'm like, yep, that's what happened to me. That is exactly what happened to me down to the, like changing my career. And, 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 you know, the, the common theme and I, and it's something I talk about all the time. It's something I've, I hear when you tell your story is this, like this growth that happened and that, you know, I like to say that it's like humans are made to grow. Like we're made to learn new things. Like we do well, like when we go, when you go to school and you learn something new, you feel smarter, you feel more engaged in life. Uh, you know, I, there was a period of time in my life where I felt like I, I was working a job where it was not mentally engaging. And I felt my, it's like my brain was dulling, you know? <laughs> and then I went back to school, uh, to get into my fitness career. And it's like, all of a sudden it's like, I feel engaged again. I feel connected. I feel this growth happening. And the same thing happens when you, when you get into strength training, I felt the exact same thing. Or when you're learning a new skill or a new sport, it's like, all of a sudden it happens with your body that you feel more engaged. You feel more connected. You feel growth. You feel expansiveness. You feel accomplishment. You feel this ability to do things you counted yourself out for previously. And it's such a different perspective than the previous, like, I just want to exercise because I, I need to be small. I need to shrink. I need to be tiny. It's there's no expansiveness there. There's no growth there. Um, And that's not how we're meant to be. Like, I feel like as humans, that's, that's not the best use of ourselves, you know? that we are meant to grow. We are meant to expand. And this is a form of fitness that beyond the physical, you know, results that come from it, which, you know, I, you could look back on your years in endurance sports and probably think like, what if I was doing this back then, how would things be different, you know, from the physical side, but you touched upon a much bigger transformation that happens, which is the mental and emotional transformation that can happen with exercise that so many people I think are missing out on. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I will say growth is one of my top five values. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, I don't know which came first, you know, um, that experience or I just don't know, but all all I know is that when I had to sit down recently, well, in the last couple of years and kind of write down my values, growth was definitely one of them and growth is not always comfortable, but growth is, um, is something that, you know, like you said, it does expand your life in so many ways. And I think we'll be, we become afraid to grow or stretch. Um, we, we miss opportunities or, or ways of understanding the world or new things that could come our way. So that that's definitely, you know, whenever I work with clients or I work with people online or whatever it is, or I work with people in the gym, you know, sometimes my my jujitsu buddies will, they'll ask me how to start deadlifting or things like that. And I'm just thinking, you know, what, a, what an amazing gift of growth to help a person with. And, and ultimately that's why I love doing what I do. Yeah. And how cool to like be in this position where traditionally the women are the ones that are intimidated by the barbells or don't know what to do. And it's like, you, you're now getting to teach the guys, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I always tell them, um, you know, I was actually, I've been uh, helping out one of our black belt professors, um, who's, uh, just a, a really great athlete and a good friend of mine. And, um, you know, a black belt in jujitsu takes at least eight years to achieve. 
for the, for the, the average, right. So it's a long journey. And, um, you know, I was helping him with some stuff and I, I said, Hey, you know what? I really appreciate like you being really open to me helping you. And, um, I don't always have that experience. And I used to coach weightlifting at a, in a gym and I would quite, I was the only female weightlifting coach and I would get, uh, especially people would drop in from out of town and stuff. And I can't tell you the number of times I'd get ignored, talked over, talked down to, um, you know, just dismissed because I'm a woman. And when I was talking to this, uh, this friend of mine, I said, I really appreciate that you're, <laughs> you know, like you're respectful. And, and I said, you know, the thing is, is like, I have a black belt in lifting because <laughs> I've been doing it for so long. Right. Um, but it, it, it's really cool. It's really cool to be able to share that. And I think, you know, things are changing social media. I feel like has definitely helped a lot of women see that they can get into lifting too. And there are so many different ways to do it. And so many amazing athletes and a lot more body diversity. Yes. And, um, that that's been really nice to see is like, you don't have to look a specific way in order to lift and be strong. And, you know, I think there's still a lot of toxicity in, in the fitness space in general, but I think, you know, things are slowly starting to change and making things more just opening it up to have people say, I could do that too. Like, yeah, it's something apart. Yeah. It's something I've noticed about social media as well is like the, the narrative is changing. There are more people speaking to the benefits of strength training, lifting heavy weights, you know, um, eating to support your activity, eating enough food, resisting diet culture, moving away from diet culture. I've definitely seen that change. You know, what are the biggest positive changes you've seen in the messaging and what probably like needs to go still? Oh gosh, there's so much. (laughs) (laughs) It's really hard, um, Robin, because I feel this is like the two parts of my personality. Um, on the one hand, I get very impatient and thinking, why is this still a thing? And on the other hand, I have a lot of compassion, especially for people, individuals who are like thinking that they're really doing the right thing by themselves to to eat in a restrictive way or see fitness as solely a way to like burn off their food or shrink their bodies. So I really try to have a lot of compassion for where people are at. Um, I think, you know, again, um, more, you know, understanding that body diversity is a thing and seeing that there are more people now who are being given seats at the table to talk about their experiences. Um, Christina Malone is an example of somebody that I recently had on my podcast who is a, um, you know, she self-describes as being a power lifter in a fat body and she's an amazing power lifter. She's so strong. And at the same time, you know, people might look at her and, and automatically make judgments about her and her, her ability as an athlete or her, her worth and value as a person, which is yeah. so unfortunate. And, and so I think slowly things are changing in that direction. Like you said, um, I think returning more to some of the evidence-based um, nutrition and fitness principles. And at the same time, understanding that science isn't perfect and science is always evolving, but Mm -hmm. at the same time that fads don't often have long-term use or benefit. Yeah. Um, 
the stuff that has to go. Oh gosh. Again, I think it's complex because social media is by its nature designed to be bite-sized and consumed in small quantities and quick quantities. And it's getting even smaller and smaller with, you know, reels in 15 seconds and, (laughs) and that sort of stuff. And and so it's hard to, it's hard to have a nuanced conversation in such a compact space. And I think, like you said earlier, you know, eat less, move more is a, is a perfect example or only eat when you're hungry Yeah. and, and stop when you're full. Well, it sounds nice on the surface and it's kind of a general a generalism, but when you come from a position of having, you know, disordered eating or you've restricted and been in a diet mentality for a really long time, then just continuing to eat less and less, or you know, you might be somebody who doesn't have strong hunger signals coming through for a variety of reasons. Does that mean you don't deserve to eat? I I, I don't know. So we have these sort of like bad game of telephone stuff that's um, gone on. Obviously a lot of the toxic sort of fitspo messaging, you know, never miss a Monday, sweat is fat crying, (laughs) nothing tastes as good as skinny feels, that kind of stuff I just have no tolerance for. And I feel like I've pretty much curated my feeds. So I don't see that, but every once in a while, people will send me things and I'm like, oof, it's rough out there. Yeah. I still get the, you know, any holiday that rolls around and it's like, how many burpees for the turkey? How many burpees do you have to do (laughs) for the stuffing? Like, it doesn't matter how much we, we fight against that. Those beams will show up every single yeah, year. You know? Totally. Yeah. And, and even in gym settings, somebody recently messaged me or, or commented on my Instagram that, you know, they just left a, an environment where that was that kind of languaging from instructors or trainers was the norm. Yeah. And so I feel like ugh, that's the tricky thing about these kind of systems is that they are the dominant way that we come to understand and see the world. And is any one person responsible for that? No. But once we learn about it, we have a choice. Yeah. And we can choose to do the best we can to like move away from that or explore other ways of helping people find nutrition and fitness that is more welcoming and inclusive and positive and additive and expansive to their lives rather than choosing once we know better to contribute to the shaming and the guilt and the unhealthy behaviors and and mindsets and beliefs that are a real result of the internet and, you know, in these kind of environments. And so it's hard because the system is all around us. It is like the air we breathe and the, the, the water to the fish and you hear all these analogies. And at the same time, can we all do a little bit better in our own way when it comes to that? Once we know better. Yeah. And you know, I heard two things there where it's like, you know, your example of that person that went to that gym and the gym had the messaging. So it's like, there is still a lot of work to be done, but the fact that your, your friend left shows that the work is effective, you know, Mm -hmm. that the work is worth doing because people are starting to move away from that, but there is still a lot of work to be done. 
in the industry for yeah. sure. A hundred percent. And, you know, it even, I don't think this is the responsibility of us, of any single individual, but I have a client and this is an example where she, her gym was going to be running a specific kind of challenge and it was going to be essentially a weight loss focused. And she was like, you know, um, she's, she's also a trainer in that environment. And so she said, you know, she spoke up and was like, this is why this isn't something I co-sign. And she kind of let them make their own decision about it. But at the end of the day, they decided not to run it in that particular way. So individual people also do have impact and it can be made easier or harder oftentimes based on, for example, your social identities and how much power you hold in a, in a traditional sense of, of like, what is your role in that space? So I don't know, it's very messy. And um, I think there's a lot of good stuff. And I think there's a lot of, of negative still that gets um, really amplified, but I'm starting to see even compared to 10 years ago, how much different things are now. It's massively different and it's ever changing. You know, I see it changing constantly. So the work mm-hmm. is worth doing and we keep doing the work. Yeah. So, um, you know, we speak to an aging audience here, uh, you know, typically 40 and up. And so let's talk a little bit about kind of the specifics of that, the benefits of strength training at mm-hmm. for somebody who maybe never did it or thought yeah. that this isn't, isn't for them. You know, I, I think we touched upon this a little bit where we are in certain circles where this is normal, but then we yeah. talk to people who are not in these circles, friends, people in our lives that are still afraid of a weight and, yep. you know, definitely not touching a barbell and under eating and all of that. So for, for the people in our lives, for those people who we haven't fully reached yet, what would, mm-hmm. what would your top three pieces of advice be for someone to, to make this change in their lives and why it's beneficial for them? Mm. Gosh, just three. That's going to be hard. <laughs> yeah, if you have a fourth, you can throw it in. Yeah, I think my opinion on it is if there's a way for you to work with a trainer in person, even for a couple of sessions, a few sessions, to just understand the lay of a the layout of a gym, or you know, to understand like what are some super basics to some simple movement patterns. I think if you can do that, if you have the means and the resources, it can really help to alleviate a lot of the anxiety and fear that people have about even just walking into a gym space on your own. I mean, goodness me. I remember (laughs) I used to go to 24 hour fitness and I would go one time I went, uh, over uh, in Pacific beach here in San Diego, which is like the average median age of that community is probably like 22. (laughs) Um, And it was full of big dudes, right? Like all at the free weights. And I can just imagine if you're not comfortable in that kind of a situation, you would just like turn around and walk away. Yeah, it isn't. It it can be intimidating. Can be intimidating. So I think if you can work with a trainer um, or a professional coach of some sort, even for a few sessions and just kind of understand like, this is the layout of, of the gym. And this is the kind of equipment that you can use. And like, Hey, here's how you, um, how you put barbell or how you put dumbbells in your lap. If you're going to you know, do something seated, I just think there's some, so many little things that if people understand that it removes a lot of the, 
the not knowing and the fear of like, Hey, I heard I'm not supposed to let my knees come forward mm-hmm. when I squat, but I keep falling over backwards. I don't get it. And, and so I would take a look at that person and say, ah, well, we need to like, make sure we're counterbalancing our, <laughs> our butt when we're by not yeah. just leaning backwards, mm-hmm. you know, so there's little things like that. Um, so I'd say that'd be one. Um, the second thing is that protein is incredibly important as part of your everyday, you know, diet, nutrition, whatever you want to call it, the meals that you eat. And it becomes very, very important, especially as we age, because again, we're losing muscle mass as we get older. And so certainly doing exercise resistance training, strength training is going to help with that, but we also need the input. We need to have enough protein and there are lots of different sources of that, but suffice to say, there's some interesting research I was reading, um, that came out of an ISSN position paper from a few years ago that came out where they sort of reestablished based on current research um, and looking at reviews of research, like what are some you know protein ranges that our people need? And what they actually showed is in an aging population, oftentimes it took a little bit more protein to get the desired effect of recovery because we just get our digestion tends to get slower and less efficient as we age and protein is the quote unquote, you know, hardest of the macronutrients to digest. So it's, it's a challenge as it is. And then we add in the age related decline in, in digestion. And what that means is that even if we're eating a small amount, we are probably not getting that full amount through the digestion and assimilation process. So I would just say, be mindful of trying to get some protein at most of your meals. Um, I'm not one that's like wants people to have to be perfect, but that's probably going to be pretty huge if you want to, especially as you're, if you're going through like perimenopause and menopause, you, you really want to be thinking about that. So you can hold on to as much of that muscle tissue as possible so that your metabolism stays, you know, in, in a good spot. So that would probably be the second one. Oh gosh, a third one. I think the biggest thing would be besides all of that is to set some, some performance based goals, not just aesthetic goals. So aesthetic goals would be, I want to be, I want to lose X inches. I want to be X number of pounds. I want to fit into X size pants. Like those are all going to be really aesthetic focused for the most part. And I just tend to find that, I mean, A, our bodies change as we're getting older as it is. And so wanting to get back to, you know, like if you still have a pair of jeans that you wore in high school and you're like, I need to get back and fit in these jeans. I'm going to ask you like, what is the purpose of keeping them around? Is that really motivating to you? Or is it making you feel like crap every time you see them? Um, But B, like you can't go back in time. All you can do is try to be, the best you are, best you can be right now. And I know that for a lot of people, um, I actually over the last year have probably interviewed 70 people about what are their biggest concerns with health and well-being and, and all that stuff. And the vast majority of people said, I want to be independent. Not, you know, when we really got down to it, it wasn't necessarily about being a specific weight or having a specific look. It was 
being able to be independent, live on your own, or at least do the things you want to do as you age. And I think that that's really telling. And so if you, if you translate that to the gym or to a workout, it's like, what is the reason why? Like, what are you trying to do? What is your bigger sense of why and purpose? But also like, what are some of the ways along the way that you can keep track of your, your progress, I guess, if you want to call it that, that, that have nothing to do with an aesthetic output. So, you know, for example, it might be, can I get up and down off of this bench um, without having to fall backwards and kind of fall into my seat? Or maybe it's, I want to learn how to do a pull-up. Yeah. Um, You know, it can be so many things, but like, what else is there besides just how you look? Yeah. I want to carry all my groceries in one trip. (laughs) Always. (laughs) Always. Like, like that's, that to me is, especially when I was living up like multiple flights of stairs was the most effective motivator for fitness Mm -hmm. was like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to make two trips to my car. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, there are things in our lives that, that doing this stuff, that strength training gives us the freedom and ability to do that independence. Absolutely. So super, super important. That was Mm -hmm. good. You did a good job. You did a good job giving me three. Tried to rein it in. It was hard. I know. I know. We should have maybe in the show notes, we just do the extended list. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to see the full story? Um, But, uh, but yeah. So Steph, as we wrap up, um, how can people learn more about you and what you do and connect with you? Yeah. If they would like to pop on and listen to my podcast. Yes. Tell us about uh, your podcast. Yeah. It's called the listen to your body podcast. Currently we're almost at 350 episodes, um, over six years of archives. So you can definitely dive into all of the free, uh, content that we have there. And we have lots of amazing guests like yourself. Yeah. Oh, yep. And then lots of solo episodes as well, where I just kind of sit down and chit chat. And sometimes I rant about things. That's the listen to your body podcast comes out weekly on Tuesdays. And you can find that on all major podcast apps. You can find me most active on Instagram on social media. So, you know, go check out our reels. Again, there's a little plug for that. And I'm at Steph underscore Godro there. Um, and then, you know, I have a website with all of the good stuff about how you can work with me. Um, so I currently do one-on-one private coaching as well as group nutrition program, um, called strength nutrition unlocked. And that's really a group experience for people who want to learn how to fuel, build muscle, have more energy, perform better in and out of the gym without having to weigh count measure and log every single bite of food that they eat. So that's kind of uh, the best way that you can work with me in a small group experience and all of that's on the site. Awesome. And we'll have that on the website and the show notes as well. Steph, before we go, um, put you on the spot one more time. Uh, (laughs) But um, I I asked this question of every guest at the end of the episode. And that is, if you could leave us with one parting piece of wisdom, what would that be? I would say that you are put here on this planet for more than just looking perfect and then getting to the end of your life and dying. And I don't mean that to sound morbid, but what I want to challenge people to do is to think about what else has meaning in your life and run toward that 
run toward those things that you that bring you meaning and and a sense of purpose or connection and remember that you were not put here to have a perfect body you were here to experience life and life is so much more than that so keep that in mind I, I'm glad you actually went the morbid direction because I think it made it more potent and powerful. I think yeah. I've said something along the lines of like, at your funeral, no one's going to eulogize you by saying, man, she had a hot body. You yeah. know, like she was so thin. Like no one's going to say that. That's not your contribution yeah. to this world and to yourself. So, mm-hmm. you know, why are we obsessing over that? So yeah, I think yeah. I'm glad you, I'm glad you said it in a way that was that potent. Yeah. I think no one's going to say, you know, here lies Steph. She resisted every piece of cake she was ever offered. Like, right. Right. <laughs> well, people eat cake at your funeral, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, there's, there's, if anybody want, has ever heard or read, um, is it the, the five, five regrets of the dying? It's a, it's was a list put together by, I believe a hospice nurse. And she would talk to people who were, you know, approaching the end of life and ask them what their biggest regrets were. And not a single place on that list was like, I wish I had a hotter body or, yeah, you know, I wish I weighed less. So, yeah. Well, those were some good parting words of wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely kept it serious there for we a kept minute, it serious, so. But you know what? People need that. People need that wake yeah. up call. So you're here to deliver that. And, you know, sometimes it involves some tough talk. And you're here to give it. So Steph, thank you so much for coming on my show. Um, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm so happy that you were able to share your wisdom, share your knowledge, share your experience with us. And hopefully, you know, you're changing some lives here today because that's what we're all about, right? So uh, once again, <laughs> thank you for taking the time and being on the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. Thanks. Seasoned Athletes. If you've fallen out of your fitness routine and the idea of jumping back in feels as daunting as putting together a work presentation the night before you have to present it, I have a fun freebie for you. Introducing the Off the Couch Starter Pack. Inside this free download, you'll find six days of strategically programmed workouts and recovery sessions for any fitness level, all designed to get you up, get you moving, and get you excited about working out again. I paired every workout and recovery session with its own hand-curated Spotify playlist to ensure that you're moving with joy every step of the way. Because that, my friend, is how you get fired up to get back into fitness again. So if you're looking for a way to open that door that's been closed for far too long and to do it in a way that's simple, effective, and fun, download my free off-the-couch starter pack now through the link in the show notes or at robinleggett.com slash bycouch.